This is From Where She Stands, a podcast connecting the storylines of Orange is the New Black with stories from real women whose lives have been impacted by prison. I'm Piper Kerman. Hi, everybody. Okay, so what I'm doing now is contour and highlight. When I wasn't in prison, I would do this with a MAC Pro palette and a number 19 fan brush. But in here, I use three spices that you can find in any kitchen. Cinnamon, cumin, and sazon goya. Yes, your face will smell like your abuela's pork, but listen, you gotta make sacrifices if you wanna look D-I-Y fly (laughs) like me. The character Maritza Ramos is petite, she's sharp-tongued, the best friend of Flaca, and she is the master of the cat eye. She's someone who always has something funny to say to release the tension. But little by little, her backstory expands, and we get to know a three-dimensional woman, one whose life is torn apart by our country's immigration policies. When I asked actress Diane Guerrero, who plays Maritza, about any of the things that they had in common, this is what she told me. Maritza probably didn't have supportive parents, and my parents were taken away. And it's that story that we're going to hear more about today. One that actress Diane Guerrero says she had to build herself up to eventually be able to share. For her, it was a story that held a lot of shame, but one that she had to tell. Episode 2, A Part. Diane Guerrero's parents came to the United States from Colombia on a visitor visa, and they stayed. Her parents worked multiple jobs. From cleaning houses, to working in different factories, to babysitting, to making meals for other families in the neighborhood. And they kept their heads low. Being undocumented was a risk. And even though Diane was born in the United States, the family lived with this looming threat of being deported. It was always something different. I don't remember my parents really having the same job for too long. Diane remembers the ways her father would sort of shift when he was in public. He didn't do things that would draw too much attention his way. He didn't speak too loud. He meticulously followed the traffic rules. Diane remembers everything seeming to revolve around becoming citizens. Her mom once paid a woman, claiming to be a lawyer, promising them visas, only to find out that she was a paralegal who then left town, scamming other families as well. But they kept on. When I was little, my dad would work during the day, and then my mom would go to a night job when he came back. I would go clean offices with her as a kid. I'd sit on the different, like, desks there with, like, pens and paper pads. She'd sit me there and just tell me to be quiet until she got back. That was always fun. But I would always take candy or chocolate around, so I'd I'd always sneak those. I would only take, like, one or two. I wasn't, like, (sighs) 
a monster. They were here taking these jobs because they wanted to provide a better life for me and that they would always say, look, look, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing. This is why you have to go to school. This is why you have to study. This is why you have to get an education so that you won't have to do this work. Hopefully you'll grow up and be a professional one day and you won't have to do this kind of work. Los pollitos dicen pio, pio, pio. And so I kept that with me. I was 14 at the time. It was my freshman year in high school. And around this time, like, we were still having a lot of problems, like, moving further with my parents' residency or citizenship or anything like that. So that was always in the back of my mind. It was always weighing on me. And so I grew up with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And, of course, as a teenager, all I wanted to think about was myself <laughs> and worrying about school and, like, making sure that I was doing well. But that was always really hard because... You know, you couldn't really concentrate on on you when you're afraid you're going to come home and them not be there. And so that's exactly what happened, of course. I was just walking home after school, and I saw my parents' cars there. I knew that they were out of work, but I had been calling them, and they weren't picking up. And so I already knew, like, every time I felt... You know, when I couldn't reach them and I felt, you know, a little funny, I always thought that that was a possibility. And, of course, I, I, I opened the door and they weren't there. The next-door neighbor came in and told me that they had been taken away by immigration. I didn't really know what to do. You know, I was 14, so I my dad told me, you know, not to go anywhere. Um, that was the main thing. It's like, don't go anywhere else. Diane found out that her parents had been detained separately by ICE. Her mom was arrested while making dinner, and her father was put in handcuffs when he arrived home from work. And Diane, she had a choice to go back to Colombia with her parents or stay put with a friend of the family. Everybody's question is like, okay, so you go with your parents, naturally. Well, that's not what I had in mind, ever, that I would go with them. I didn't see a life there. And I just knew that my parents didn't have any money or the means to give me the kind of life that I needed in Colombia. My mother was pretty clear that she wanted me to go with her. And my dad... <laughs> my dad always sort of treated me like an adult, just because I always feel like he was just so sorry that he had to put me through this shit. I think he was just always like, look, you're the smartest person in our family. <laughs> it's terrible to say. 
There are an estimated 4 million children under the age of 18 in the United States, all U.S. citizens, that live with at least one undocumented parent. We've all heard too many devastating stories of children being separated from their parents. And like in Diane's case, children are put in positions to make a decision that could divide their family forever. My mother, of course, was really upset. She wanted me to go with her because she would always say that a child's place was with her mother. And my dad said, she's old enough to choose to stay and and choose her education and start working on her life. And I was very clear about that, too. In retrospect, I don't know what could have happened. Who's to say that I wouldn't have made a great life for myself in Colombia? It's just not the life I chose. Both of Diane's parents were held in detention centers before they were sent back to Colombia. Diane went to visit them. She hugged her father goodbye. She remembers him telling her to be strong. Her mother was in handcuffs, whispering, I love you, just before she stepped on a van that took her away. Things continued to change. Oh my God, yes, I cannot wait for this party tonight. What are you wearing? I didn't really like talking to my folks on the phone. Ooh, that's super cute. Hold on, I have another call coming in. It's my parents, gotta go. That's what happens when you separate a family. Hello, mami, como estas? Bien, gracias. It essentially just breaks the family unit and breaks that relationship or just really strains it. I mean, high school kids already don't want to talk to their parents, you know. They were kind of a reminder that that part of my life was over. And so that caused me a lot of pain and... In order for me to survive high school, I had to put all those feelings away. Essentially, I needed a therapist, (laughs) but I didn't have that at the time. And I, in order to get through it, I just needed to not talk to them. So that caused a lot of stress. What happens when families are separated in this way is something that's been studied and analyzed. Research has shown that PTSD is much higher for children whose parents are detained. Many children internalize these problems with deep guilt and shame. I saw my parents immediately after they were deported. So that summer of high school, I went to Columbia to see them. That was tough. And it was like so shocking. The whole experience was like terrible. My parents split up. So that was (laughs) new. They were also dealing with, like, so much drama and so much trauma from the whole experience. My dad was living with his family, and my mother was living with her family. And they weren't talking to each other. What I needed at that moment was for my family to be together and talk to me about all of this. And I, I was kind of dealing with two different people handling something very, very traumatic. And so that was hard for me. The family was separated in 2001, and for Diane, the idea of her parents being back in the United States seems more and more out of reach. Not much has changed in this country. If anything, 
the immigration system in this country has become a lot worse because now we have not just family separations, but now we have children being put into cages. With sharing my story, my hopes have been to help other families not feel so alone, especially young kids who are going through this right now. Within Orange is the New Black, we began to see the show tackle some of the realities of immigration detention centers. And it's something we talked more about. So when I think about the last season, here we are, you know, season seven, seven seasons, what an amazing journey this has been. What we see with Maritza is that she gets detained. Yeah. We sort of see, you know, this character who we love so much, who's brought so much joy in terms of laughter, but also who we've seen survive terrifying things taken away. And so... On an emotional level, what was it like to play something that is in some ways very close to home? I just couldn't believe when when the, the storyline was presented to me. I, I, I was in tears. Mm. I was so happy. <laughs> and to think that, you know, I was being asked to to tell this story, for me it was it was a winning moment because I thought man, we're going to get to tell the story on this show, on this, on such an important show. And maybe I did have something to do with that. Jenji Cohen has done an amazing job in terms of weaving all of these interconnected realities. I think about obviously ice prisons and the intersection of, you know, bad immigration policies and bad mass incarceration policies. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really, I mean, for lack of a better term, loved yes, yes. <laughs> about seeing those realities brought to life uh, in a character that, that so many people could connect to. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it really can happen to anyone. And a lot of these immigration prisons are holding families. <laughs> that's actually, that's all they're holding are families. These are the people who are being detained, the father dropping their child off for to school, the woman going to her job in the morning. Mm. And how has your, um, your family in Colombia understood sort of your performances, Maritza? How has that been for them? Oh, man, it's been really redeeming, <laughs> I think. I saw my parents spiral into depression Mm -hmm. and just sick to their stomachs about what could happen to me. And that was their worry. Their worry was this person who we had so many hopes for, they didn't know what would happen to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a, a tremendous amount of guilt to know that it was them because they were undocumented, because they had to go, because they also made the decision to let me stay and fend for myself and live out this quote unquote American dream Mm -hmm. that I had. I mean, that was the big thing. I was like, mom, dad, I need to stay. I need to finish school. There is no life out there for me. I have a bigger plan here. And so they were very afraid of what that would lead to. But I think that they're feeling pretty good now that I had a good head on my shoulders and that I, first of all, that they gave me so much love to help me carry out 
my journey. And that's why I believe in the power of love so much because I feel like they gave me so much. So we've been thinking a lot about things we can do outside of prison walls. One thing we've done is launched the Pusey Washington Fund. The money raised from this fund will go to help eight organizations fighting to end the epidemic of mass incarceration of women in America. When you donate, you'll contribute to the fight for criminal justice reform, immigration rights, and helping women integrate back into the wider community after their sentences. To join us, you can visit crowdrise.com forward slash PWF. Join us next week. I hated this prison when I got here. I have 25 years in for a burglary, three strikes, and I had spent 10 years at Bacabo before I came here. So when I got here, it just seemed like, oh, all these men, they think they're this, they think they're that. And then here I come, and I didn't know where I fit in. That's Lisa Strawn, a transgender woman doing time in a men's prison in San Quentin. We'll be hearing from her and Laverne Cox. Hello, Piper. How are you doing, darling? From Where She Stands is a production of Netflix and Pineapple Street Studios. From Netflix, our executive producers are Nia Lee, Tori Gleiker, and Brooke Reese. From Orange is the New Black, executive producers are Genji Cohan, Tara Herman, and myself, Piper Kerman. This series was created by Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, and Leela Day. The senior producer is Leela Day, with lead producer Josh Gwynn and producer Justine Daum. Production assistance from the incredible Jessica Jupiter and Sophie Bridges. Our sound engineer is James Rowlands. Music throughout the episode is by Salami Rose. Special thanks for the vocal talents who were part of the sound design of this episode. Camila Salazar, Diana Mantilla, and Siana Grace Carasquilla. And thanks to Alejandro Jaramillo. I'm Piper Kerman. <laughs>